A reading from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the fourth chapter, beginning with the sixth verse. As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Continuing with the 16th verse. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. From the Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 9th verse. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven and was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Paul says that at the end of days, a crown of righteousness will be his. Did you hear that, church? I hope that what you also heard was that it would be given to him. That he doesn't think that his ministry or his suffering or anything else that he has done will merit that crown, but that the crown is given of the will of God. A crown of righteousness given to him. That's how that text ties to today's 
gospel because you see, when the tax collector went home, he didn't go home justified exactly as our English Bibles say it. The English Bibles try to declunkify. Is declunkify a word? Anybody know? You know what it means though, don't you? It tries to declunkify the Greek because what the Greek says is that he went down to his home having been justified. Do you hear the difference? It wasn't his prayer that justified him. It wasn't the difference that existed between him and the fictional Pharisee. What justified him was God. It was God's choice to make him right with God. God acted, not the tax collector. But we look on the other hand, and it seems to suggest in that text that the Pharisee came and asked for nothing and received nothing. So we might legitimately infer from this text that it's teaching us something about how we should approach God. Is that fair? I think it is. I think it is. Let me give you some things that I think might help us get into it. And later on, this might seem like a needless like foray off into chasing squirrels to you, but I'm hoping this is going to work. Have you ever known anybody who had two kids? Anybody? Did you ever know a parent who was, who was petrified of the idea that their children might think one of them was more important to her than the other child? Right? I've already told y'all one of my favorite TV shows is Everybody Loves Raymond. That mother on that show is not worried about that. And that's the whole point of that story, that Raymond is the favorite and the other brother is scarred for life by his own comparisons with his brother, right? If you've seen two episodes of that show, you know that the older brother is rendered completely impotent in life because he compares himself to his younger brother all the time because his older mother loves the younger brother more. It goes even so far as he can't eat anything without touching it to his chin because when he was two, he watched his mama touch a spoon to his little brother's chin and tell him that she loved him. So he touches everything, whether it's a cheese doodle or something, he's handing to somebody else to his chin first. That's what comparison does to us. And I think that's why most good parents try very hard to keep their kids from comparing one another to each other in some effort to see whether or not they are more loved than the other child. Y'all with me so far? Sometimes what those parents do is they get a frame that so that when they're going to frame their their children's school pictures, they get a little silver metal frame and it has a hinge on it, don't they? Because they know that if they put one on one side of the mantle and the other on the other side of the mantle, the child is going to interpret that as favoritism somehow. One of them's going to say, well, I'm on the right side and you're on the wrong side. So they put them in little leaflet frames that fold up on one another to attempt to avoid having the children compare their love for the other child. That's what I think is going on in those. We had one of those in my house. I'm pretty certain I remember it. What does that have to do with this text? We've had two parables told to us in the last two weeks. 
Last week's parable, the the gist of it was that God is not like an unjust judge that we have to punish into helping us. That God is not some unjust judge that we have to wear out before God will respond to our pleas for mercy. And then Jesus says something important. And then there's another parable that's teaching us that God is merciful to those who truly want God's mercy. And again, there's a hinge in the middle, something very important that Jesus said, and this is it. At the end of that other parable, and before this parable, Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? Will He find faith? Faith, dear ones, is nothing more than believing and trusting in the mercy of God. Believing and trusting that God is good, that God is not like the unjust judge, that God will hear our cries for mercy and deliver us from sin and death, that God will remove whatever it is that plagues your heart and send you home having been made right with God. Faith. The last parable was about faith. Trusting that God is not like the unjust judge and trusting that God is going to do something about the injustice in the world and what the church says God did about injustice is judge it on the cross of Jesus Christ by putting it to death. And then we jump into the nasty injustice of comparison. What may be the most awkward and horrible thing that people do to each other that creates injustice. We look at someone else and we say, I'm glad I'm not like Michael. I knew he would laugh if I did that. Have you ever thought that before? Seen someone on the side of the road, had a friend, had a neighbor, an enemy, Someone that you looked at and you thought, man, I'm glad I'm not like them. You and that person need to be in one of those little frames. And remember that faith is in the middle and connects you both. That's the awkwardness of life for a Christian here in this world. We don't get to look at other people and say, I'm glad I'm not like them because we, dear ones, know the mercy of Christ. We know who we were before we cried out to God and said, have mercy on me, the sinner. In the Greek, he didn't just say a sinner. He said the sinner. That's how serious he was about his own conviction about his Life. He knew that he had not lived up to the standards of God. He had not loved God and loved his neighbor as himself. How had he not do that? Because he was collecting money for the people who were oppressing his neighbors. And the only way he could make a living was to collect more than Herod told him to collect. So if Herod said you get 100 a week, he tried to get 200 a week because he likes Maseratis. And so he extorts from his neighbors and oppresses them and becomes an instrument of their oppression and their misery. And that's why he's so loathsome before the temple because he's oppressing the people of God. And he's in touch with his sinfulness. And so he comes and he says, 
I have faith that you will forgive me and be merciful to me. As bad as I am, here I am, God, the sinner. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He doesn't compare himself to the Pharisee. He didn't say, hey, I'm not as good as him. I'm not as righteous as him. I'm less than him. He doesn't fall into that trap. He just knows who he is before God and cries out to a God that he believes will forgive him if he cries out. He doesn't cry out over and over and over as someone who doesn't trust that God will hear or that God thinks that God is unjust and unmerciful. He says it once, God be merciful to me, the sinner, and he is given mercy. The Pharisee, the holy guy in the story, and he is holy, isn't he? He doesn't just give a tenth of his increase, he gives a tenth of everything he has. He's doing everything right except one thing. He's comparing himself to his neighbor. Someone asked Jesus one time, what are the greatest commandments in the law? And Jesus said, well, how do you read it? And the guy said, well, gave an answer. And Jesus said, well, that's right. And essentially, essentially what Jesus said to him was, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Leviticus, what it specifically says about loving your neighbor is that we are not to seek vengeance or to bear a grudge. but to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This Pharisee bears a grudge against this tax collector in the temple. He's violating the law of God. He's not as righteous as he thinks he is, dear ones. Do you notice that? If he was as righteous as he thought he was, he might have spoken to that tax collector in a different way. If he truly was in touch with God and God's purposes in the world, he would have seen that tax collector as someone that he should walk over to in comfort, not someone that he should denounce as he glorified himself. So while he seems to have it all together, he misses that one thing. He does not love his neighbor as himself, and he compares himself to his neighbor, and he says, I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. It's like one brother looking at the little pictures and saying, I thank you, Lord, I'm not like him. But here's the truth, dear ones. We are like everyone else. We all stand in the need of the mercy of the loving God that we know. No matter how perfect you may think you are, how righteous you may think you are, it merits you nothing on the day of judgment. Jesus said, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith, not perfect people? Will he find faith? In the baptismal liturgy today, you will hear me ask the parents if they confess their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior and put their whole trust in His grace. That is faith. Trusting that God will be merciful and uphold us and teach us His ways, that God will transform us and heal us of sin, and even that God might heal us of the horrible sin of comparison so that we might live here and actually go out into the world and see someone that we detested yesterday as someone who should be in a picture frame beside us with faith stitching the two together because they too are a person that Jesus Christ died for. 
you hear the problem, dear ones? It wasn't that he wasn't a good guy, this Pharisee. His faith wasn't in God. His faith was in himself. And so he compared himself to others to justify himself. But the tax collector compared himself to who God wanted him to be. And he compared himself to the goodness and mercy of God and he cried out for help. Dear ones, I hope, I hope, I hope that we can hear the difference and that we might strip away our own pride and exercise that difference in our own lives. Not to look at someone like the Pharisee and cry out in this moment, man, aren't you glad we're not like him? Because then we're doing the same thing he did. But instead, to have the humility and the faith it requires to cry out, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Today, as Lucille Mary Judith comes to be received into the body of Christ, you will have an opportunity to do just that. As her parents are asked the baptismal vows and renounce sin and confess their faith in Christ, I invite you to do the same. And make that, dear ones, your act of crying out to a merciful God. Allow God to strip the sin of comparison from your heart. And trust not in your own righteousness. Or how good you are compared to your awful neighbor. But trust in Christ instead. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.